Good morning, afternoon, evening, everybody. Welcome to the 8311 cast, episode 31, featuring your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter. On this week's episode of the 8311 cast, we're going to be coming to you into your beautiful ears talking about the NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs, your weekly turtle tab leading into our MLB segment, along with our signature segments, Mike's Stupid Rules and Write That Down Predictions. So, in our Write That Down Predictions segment, guys, we're also going to be giving you the final results of our Write That Down standings for Season 1. And I don't know the results. Kyle, I don't think you know the results. I don't either. But Mike calculated the results, and he's going to give them to us at the end of the episode. So make sure you get... I the spreadsheet. All the math is correct. I listen back to episodes when there are contentious uh, predictions to figure out exactly what happened. So... So I went on exact wording as we recorded. So I'm excited. I'm excited to hear those results are. But first, we got to get through all of our sports talk. Kyle, do you want to talk to us about the NBA a little bit? What's going on in the finals? Yeah. So I'm going to talk about the West so far. So after Portland was able to come back and defeat the, or I guess they didn't really come back, but they were able to hold off the Denver Nuggets and win in a game seven in the semifinals, or in the quarterfinals i guess Semi- western then. conference semifinals western conference semifinals now they're in the western conference finals against the golden state warriors and they haven't really been able to do a whole lot most of the talk in this entire series is about the curry brothers playing each other uh if you aren't aware obviously stephen curry plays for the golden state warriors and his brother seth curry plays for the portland trailblazers but so far the Pl- portland trailblazers have been giving up a lot of large leads so far in this season. They were up big in Game 1. They were also up big in Game 2, and then didn't really have a great performance with home court advantage in Game 3. So far, Golden State has been able to move the ball very well and has been able to shoot incredibly well, and this is all without Kevin Durant. So, so far, they have been able to do all of this without their... I, in my opinion, their best player on the team. Uh, Kevin Durant has not been able to play at all this series. And in my uh, personal opinion, I don't think he will play for the rest of the Western Conference Finals at all. And they will keep him uh, fresh and hopefully ready to go for the NBA Finals. Uh, since Portland's chances of making the NBA Finals are looking more and more bleak as this series continues. Uh, so that's that for the West. Hold on. So... You you said that you think Kevin Durant is their best player. I don't. I think that you can't say that that's the case when they can just easily destroy a very good Portland team like this without Kevin Durant. I think I, that speaks. I think that speaks more about how Kevin Durant is not needed on this team and how he's not their best player than it does speaking to that he is their best player. I think personally. Kevin. I think Kevin Durant is the second best player in all of the NBA. And I think behind behind LeBron James and in my opinion right now, they obviously they don't need him because they have the team chemistry. This was a team that won an NBA finals. uh, Mostly this is majority the majority like the skeleton of a team that won the NBA finals without Kevin Durant before he came to the Golden State Warriors before they won it again. So Kevin Durant is just another piece on top of that that makes them even more beatable. Uh, as a team, and that's why they are. 
more more beatable or more unbeatable? Or more unbeatable. Okay. Sorry. Okay. More unbeatable as a team. And obviously he adds a different layer and aspect to to that team. He's a very lengthy player who's incredibly hard to defend, can shoot from almost anywhere on the court, can get to the rim and score, can get to the free throw line and score as well. But the team chemistry that they have with Clay Thompson and Steph Curry being those two guys that they've been building this franchise around and winning consistently for the past four or five years, four or five seasons, this team is capable of doing it without Kevin Durant. That doesn't mean that Kevin Durant isn't the best player on this team. Obviously, Steph Curry has been an MVP before, and he's still able to shoot at an incredibly high pace and rate. Klay Thompson is one of the best shooters in the game right now. In my opinion, I think he's can be a better shooter than Steph Curry is. But right now, I believe that Kevin Durant is the second best player in all of in the entire NBA, and he is the best player in the playoffs right now. Uh, maybe not while he's injured, obviously, but at his prime, at his peak, while he's healthy, he is the best player left in the playoffs at this point. Oh, so but yes. But I think then that you, if then you have to indict his decision to come to the Warriors, right? The fact that the fact that if he is the second best player, like in the NBA, like you said, is the fact that the team he went to can destroy everybody without him, right? I think that speaks to an indictment that he just doesn't want to challenge. He just wants to ride along and and take wings. I think that's an indictment on Kevin Durant as a person. Well, then, th- thank you for bringing up a point that everybody was trying to make two years. What was it? Two or three years ago when he went to the Warriors. This was the this was the debate that everybody had two or three years ago when he went to the Warriors. Why is he doing this? He's going to a team that is already built to win NBA championships. He's literally just going there to win NBA championships. I think I think he could have done it on his own in Oklahoma City, but he didn't want to. Especially with Westbrook. Yeah, he wanted an easier ride. I think he could have done it with maybe Paul George instead of Russell Westbrook. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they there's no way that Oklahoma City is getting rid of Russell or Russell Westbrook without getting a fortune in return for him. So I he just he's kind of there for and just there along for the ride. I don't know when they won when he's what has he won two championships now while he's been there. One or two, I don't remember exactly. And yeah. I, I think it was two, and I think he's been the MVP of both finals appearances when they did win. So then that just goes to just speaks to the fact that he is the best player on the team, but they don't need him in order to win. Because if he wasn't there, Steph Curry would be the MVP of those teams. True. So. Yeah, so I, I guess you agree with you agree with me on the point that he uh, took the easy road out for sure. Oh yeah, going to go oh, yeah. State at least. I, so. I hated his decision to go there. Yeah, I, I lost agree. a lot of respect for him in, I agree. in his decision to go there. I but agree. somebody who I think can win an NBA championship on his own on the current team that he's with is Giannis Antetokounmpo with the Milwaukee Bucks, and I think that the Bucks are going to end up beating the Raptors mainly because Kawhi Leonard isn't getting any help. During the year, Kawhi Leonard was getting help because he wasn't playing every single day. He was essentially playing every other day, so the rest of the team had to do a lot with Pascal Siakam and uh, Kyle Lowry able to do a whole lot. They've Kyle Lowry has disappeared as a point guard, except well, for one game against the Philadelphia 76ers. And he did foul out 
in game three, which didn't help. Yeah. He fouled out early in the fourth quarter in game Pascal, three. Pascal Siakam had a ton of 40-point games down the stretch with the Raptors. I think he had five or six in the final stretch for the Raptors going toward in their push for the playoffs. But now he's not been doing a whole lot, and Kawhi Leonard has had to shoulder the entire load, as we've seen with some of his miraculous shots at the end of the game, at end of games. And he's essentially having to score 40 points in order to keep them in the game at all. And the Milwaukee Bucks is just a team that is built too well. They have such a good chemistry. No, it, a, a different player can be the man every single night. Eric Bledsoe, Giannis Antetokounmpo every night. Uh, Lopez, is is that Robin or Brooke? It's Robin Lopez, right? Yeah, he, Robin, Robin he, Robin he Lopez. carried in game one. He carried game in game victory. one. And then they also have um, Chris Middleton, so who's still shooting nearly 50% from the three in this entire NBA playoffs so far. So that team is built to go deep. And I think that if Kevin Durant is injured going into the finals and the Milwaukee Bucks make it to the finals, I think Milwaukee has the best chance, but first they need to get through the Raptors. And I think they still have the best chance uh, to come out of the East. I don't think unless, unless Kawhi Leonard scores 40 points a game and gets help from somebody else, the Raptors aren't going to come out of this series. The Raptors need it. The Raptors need another piece in order yeah. to be a finals and championship contender. Yeah, and they're already down two games to one here in the Eastern Conference after uh, surviving a double overtime game on Sunday night. So, yeah, I do think that the Bucs are definitely in the driver's seat in that series, and I think they're the better team. So I don't think the Raptors will be able to get it done, but who knows, maybe Lowry, or not Lowry, uh, Kawhi Leonard will pull off another run of incredible games here and lead them to a series victory. We'll have to see and keep an eye on that here as the series develops over the next week. But the other league that is in the playoffs is the NHL. Um, so during our two-week break, one spot in the Stanley Cup final was already set with the Boston Bruins ending the miraculous run of the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, the Hurricanes, it seemed like, finally just ran out of gas. The Bruins demolished them in four games. It was a uh, 4 to nothing sweep in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, really, only one of the games was competitive. Three of the four games were blowouts, and I think game three was maybe decided 2-1 to one in favor of Boston. So that series wasn't close, and the Boston Bruins are firing on all cylinders heading into the Stanley Cup Finals. They will play the winner of the St. Louis Blues and the San Jose Sharks. Currently, the uh, St. Louis Blues are leading this series three games to two, but they have definitely come through some controversy to be able to get there. Back in game three of the series, I believe it was, um, there was... A big controversy when the Sharks won that game 5-4 to four in overtime. It was in Game 3 in St. Louis. The Sharks won that game 5-4 to four in overtime, but the goal that they scored in overtime was what the big controversy was about. So you remember that in a previous stupid rule, I believe, we talked about a hand pass in the NHL. So remember, you can grab the puck with your hand, but then you have to drop it, and you you have you have to be the next one to play it if you hit it with your hand. So what happened in this game was that a San Jose player knocked it with his hand out of midair to one of his teammates, 
who then passed it to uh, the person who then scored the game-winning goal. So right immediately after um, the first Sharks player touched it, after it was contacted with the guy's hand, the play should have immediately been blown dead for a hand pass, and it was a face-off. It was obvious upon replay that uh, this hand pass happened. It was obvious live that it happened. The St. Louis players were calling for it immediately after it happened. So after they went to the, you know, they went to replay the goal, and all they got back from the league is that a hand pass is not a reviewable play. So basically, what the league admitted was, yes, there was a hand pass on that play. Yes, we see it. No, we can't overturn the goal because of it, because apparently that's not reviewable, even though they looked at it and saw that it happened. So you can't say for sure that St. Louis was going to win that game, but they definitely, uh, they definitely got screwed by um, that hand pass being allowed to stand for the goal. But they've rebounded nicely. They uh, took uh, game four, two to one, and then they dominated game five, taking it five to nothing on Sunday. So they are up three games to two and looking forward to um, or looking forward to maybe being able to take on the Boston Bruins in the Stanley Cup final. For the NHL, game six is going to be tomorrow, Tuesday, May 21st. That game will be at 8 o'clock Eastern, so 7 Central. And then Game 7, if necessary, will be on Thursday at 8 o'clock Eastern time. So you have those two games to look forward to to see who will compete against the Boston Bruins in the Stanley Cup Final. So, Kyle, I've uh, I've heard that you've had a little bit of a uh, interesting uh week here after graduation do you want to tell us why you're a little upset about what's uh happened so far this week after after graduation well i mean so you come on a summer vacation not to expect uh to get a bunch of cold weather and a lot of snow um well that is what is currently happening so aspen colorado has been uh has been the place where i've been for or since saturday now and uh Today we are pretty much stuck inside with the weather, and it's supposed to be horrible weather tomorrow and Wednesday as well. So three days out of the entire week that we have a uh, summer vacation is a little upsetting um, that the weather isn't cooperating. Usually by the, around this time of year, the year they have uh, temperatures in the upper 60s, and it's pretty much sunny and just a slight bit of overcast every day. So uh, we did not get that weather. That is why I'm a little upset. It happens. It's in the mountains. Snow happens in the mountains. It's nice yeah. in Minnesota. You should have come to Minnesota on vacation instead. You seem to have a problem with Minnesota, but no you got to admit the weather can be nice. 65 Sometimes. Today. Sometimes. 65. For like four months out of the year, it can be nice. And the rest of the time, you just it's a different version of nice. You just have to learn to embrace it. Nope. There's no embracing that. Yeah, there is. Snow is good. Snow is good. Anyway, is is that all you're upset about, or are you upset about more things than just snow? No, that's. I'm not that sympathetic to being about. upset about snow. So that's pretty much it. That means I get to tell you about baseball savior, right? Is that now? It's time for that. Ugh, that'll make you feel better, right? Unfortunately, sounds like that'll make you feel better. So, uh, when we last left our hero, Willens Astudio. He was on. He was rehabbing back from a hamstring injury that had left him on the disabled list. Since we last uh, talked, he's come back off the DL, 
He is about the only Twins player who hasn't been hitting the cover off the ball since then. Um, in the last week, he's gone three for 18, which is not awful, but it's also not great. We're just going to go with it's It's not good. But overall, he's still hitting 278. He still only has two strikeouts on the year. He uh, still doesn't have any walks on the year, I believe. I would have to double-check that stat. But Onopi has one walk on the year and two strikeouts. So still he's holding up to his uh, namesake of never walking, never striking out. And he made a couple. He made a really good uh, diving play at third base the other day as well. So he's still living up to his hype, and we will continue to track him and keep you all informed on him as the season comes along. But he's back. He's in the starting lineup regularly, and he is still fun to watch. That is your weekly turtle tab, Willens Ostadio La Tortuga. Kyle, do you want to talk about the Royals and how they're uh, how they have been doing? That'll make you happy too, right? Just just three segments in a row to make you happy? Not really. Can we skip this? If, they're if, bad. If you'd like, we can skip it. I mean, this it's is your all segment. you really need to know. They're bad. Starting pitching is awful. The only serviceable pitcher right now is Danny Duffy and Scott Barlow. Danny Duffy obviously being a starting pitcher, and Scott Barlow is a reliever for the Royals, and he has he has. He's averaging about 2.3 strikeouts per inning pitched as a relief pitcher right now. So he's striking out pretty much everybody that he's pitching to, except for the fact that he's still giving up some solo shot home runs. Uh, So that's how his earned run average is uh, starting to um, come up a little bit. Uh, Also, a big thing that happened this week, the debut of our young infield prospect, Nicky Lopez, who is the number eight prospect in the Royal system. Uh, He can play both the middle infield positions, so second base and uh, Whit Merrifield has been um, optioned to the outfield and he will be playing right field for the majority of the season going forward. And in a quote, Whit Merrifield says, I don't really care where I play. I just want to quit or I just want to stop losing games. So far, they haven't really been able to do that, uh, but at least there's some excitement with how good this middle infield could be in years to come with Mondesi and Nicky Lopez at second base or shortstop and second base, respectively. Speaking of Mondesi, he is currently pacing the major leagues in stolen bases. On the year, he has 17, which is four more than the next leading candidate, which I believe is Tim Anderson from the Chicago White Sox. Uh, and with that, he is on pace for over 100 uh, RBIs. He currently has 37 and over 50 stolen bases, which I said he already has 17. And that doesn't happen very often in the major leagues. Uh, so that is something to watch as he is uh, becoming a star for the Royals, at both defensively in the field and offensively at the plate, batting normally in the number three hole for this Royals team. Yeah, well, unlike the uh, Royals, the Twins are actually a baseball team worth talking about. The uh, Twins going into play on Monday have the second best record in baseball, only to the scorching hot Houston Astros. We'll get to that in a minute. But they have the second best lineup in baseball. They just, uh, this last week, beat up, uh, taking three out of four on the road in Seattle, including uh, two games where they scored more than 10 runs. And they also have the, um, and uh, they also took two out of three from the Angels at home, being able to at least somewhat contain that Mike Trout and Shohei Otani lineup that the Angels have. 
Um, this team has the most runs scored in baseball, the second best run differential only to the Astros. So this is a team that's firing on all cylinders. They're hitting. They're starting pitching has been phenomenal. Jose Burrios, he struggled a little bit in his last start, his last two starts, but he's still been phenomenal. Jake Odorizzi, Martin Perez have both been phenomenal so far this year. So it's uh, been really good to see what they have uh, done. It's been really fun. Um, also, the big news for the Twins, um, unfortunately, Nelson Cruz went on the DL, but his return, or uh, but Miguel Sano returned to the team off the DL when this happened. Um, he's played in three games uh, since he's returned. He does have one home run and two doubles, so he has been hitting for some power, so that is good to see. Unfortunately, he still has eight strikeouts. So he seems to have not exactly fixed all of his issues from previous years. He is lighter, which will hopefully help him um, stay not injured and stay on track there. But he is still striking out. So hopefully we'll see as he uh, gets back into major league form, some of those strikeouts will end and he will continue to impress. But this team is just fun to watch. They, they hit the ball all over the place. They, they play fundamentally sound. They don't make too many errors in the field. So the, all that's going for them. I mean, the catchers are hitting. Even their backup utility infielder, A.A. Adrianza, has about four or five home runs so far this year. This is a team, this is a team that can hit, and it's just fun to watch. I'm excited aren't, to see uh, what this team can do. Aren't they tied for the most home runs in baseball? They are going into play on Sunday. They were tied with uh, the Seattle Mariners for the most home runs in baseball. And then the Twins hit zero and gave up four, three, three to Seattle that day. So Seattle is now the uh, is back in the lead in home runs in baseball. But they're struggling mightily. They had lost. They've lost about they've lost 15 of their last 20, even after beating the Twins on Sunday. So despite hitting the cover off the ball, especially early in the year, the Mariners are below 500 and really struggling now. So they do lead the league in uh, in home runs, but they're only 23 and 26. So not uh, not in the greatest shape. Well, they're back where they belong after selling out their entire team, essentially. I, yes, they're playing back where they were expected after they traded Diaz and Cano and everybody else in the offseason. So, and letting Nelson Cruz go. So they're back more where they expected. Uh, Wyatt, you got a Cubs update for us as well? Are they playing well like the Twins are? Yeah, moving on down to the Windy City. The Cubs aren't playing quite as well as the Twins are. Uh, However, I wouldn't say they're doing poorly. They're certainly not as bad as the Royals. But uh, I I wouldn't even go as far as to say the Cubs are hot right now. I wouldn't even say they're hot. I'd say they're pretty, pretty warm. You know, if you're boiling like a pot of water and right before it starts really boiling, there's little tiny bubbles. The Cubs are in the little tiny bubble stage right now. So they're simmering? Uh, it's more than a simmer, not quite a boil. It's like the in-between stage, you know, where you're just, just waiting for the boil. We're not talking about – we're done. We're done with that. The Cubs are 6-4 and four in the past 10 games, including one loss to the Nationals, two to the Reds, and a game to the Brewers in the last 10. In the second game of the series with the Nationals, uh, which is a series that the Cubs won, Chris Bryant homered um, not once, not twice, but three times in three consecutive innings, which is very impressive. He's only the 12th player to do it. And uh, the second player to do it in the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings. So the last three innings of the game, um, him and JD Martinez uh, did. He did that with the Diamondbacks in 2017. Going into uh, this game against the Phillies on Monday night, this we're recording this on a Monday. Days are a little messed up. 
Cubs are going to play the Phillies right now. Uh, there's a few personnel swaps. Uh, Javi Baez is out with a bruised heel after last night's game against the Nationals. Bruce is right heel and a right heel contusion. Um, this is his first time not starting this season, so that's kind of sad. Sad, uh, sad to see him go. However, Addison Russell is covering for him in the shortstop position, which is where I really like to see Addison Russell. But Javi's been killing it over there this season, so uh, we'll see. We'll see what Addison Russell has in store. Speaking of which, he did come back. Um, we've been off for what week now. And in between time, between our last episode and now, Addison Russell has come back to the Cubs about a week early due to um, Ben Zilbris being out on personal issues. But since Addison Russell's back, he came back in the third game of the four-game series with the Marlins. He started playing second base. Um, Danny Descalso was injured during that game. He didn't play, if I recall correctly. So uh, that's what we got going. There's a three-game series against the Phillies. The Cubs are going to play Monday... Oh boy, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Sometimes not soon Monday, this week. Wednesday, Thursday. That would be weird. It, that's weird, but for some, I don't remember the last time it comes. Nobody, like, you, you don't yeah, have nobody ever does that. Tuesdays. You don't have off nobody, days on Tuesdays. That's yeah, nobody do. ever does that that's unless a there's thing. a rain delay. Well, early in the season. Yeah. Yeah. At this news. point in the season, off days on Tuesdays aren't things. You can tell I wasn't quite as prepared. It's been a busy week. It's been a, yeah, yeah. You're. I. I was. I can't even say I was right because I wasn't wrong. I don't know. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah. It'll be the Phillies, Phillies at Wrigley. So Mondays uh, and Thursdays are the only days it could be off days in baseball. Unless was... weird things happen at the beginning of the year where you're having a day off after opening day or the All-Star break. Then all off days are on Mondays and Wednesdays. Well, Mondays or the, and Thursdays. Sorry. The Mariners and the Athletics might have some weird off days since they played that opening series in Japan. Yeah, but... Under unless there's extenuating circumstances, Mondays and Thursdays are the only days that are off. So, is that that all you got on the Cubs? That's all I got on the Cubs. So the two teams that are the 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 hottest teams in baseball right now are definitely the two teams that met this weekend, the uh, Red Sox and Astros. The uh, Red Sox really came out of that slump. I remember they had. They were still below 500 two weeks ago. Uh, last time, last time we came to you with this podcast, and they've they've won uh, they've won seven out of their last ten since then. They are up to their record now is 25 and 22, so they are uh, back above 500, and they are definitely back in the postseason conversation. They're still uh, they're still quite a ways behind. There's about four games behind the Yankees, who are uh, leading the AL East, and a game behind Cleveland for the wild card. But they are definitely back in that postseason conversation, back playing like we expected them uh, to play at the beginning of the year. And the other team that is uh, playing very well, as I alluded to earlier, is the Houston Astros. Up until uh, they lost to the Red Sox on Sunday. They'd won 10 straight games, definitely the longest winning streak in baseball up until uh, up through this point in the season, and it might be the longest winning streak uh, winning streak this year. That will happen at all this year. Well, have well to it's, see it's, happened, it's happened twice for them now. They've had two 10-game winning streaks so far this season. Yeah. So I, we'll see if anybody eclipses that. It could happen. Maybe it won't. We'll have to see. But so a 10-game win streak for them, and they have the best record in baseball right now. Currently, a half a game better than the Twins, and they also have the best run differential in baseball as well. They so, also uh, have the best slugging percentage in all of baseball, which hasn't happened uh, 
with a team that has a slugging percentage over 500 this late in the season since 2003. And that's mainly in part with how well their entire lineup, top to bottom, can hit the ball all over the park. Their catcher, everybody, their shortstop, their third baseman, George Springer, is and Alex Bregman continue to hit incredibly well in the top of the lineup. The only person who's struggling a ton right now is Jose Altuve, who is currently out with an injury. Um, but he's been struggling mightily at the plate this entire season so far. So, Yeah, hopefully. I mean, that with how they're hitting now, just imagine that Astros lineup with Altuve back in his usual form. That would be insane. So we'll have to keep an eye on the Astros. They are asserting their dominance as the best team in the American League, as many people thought they would from the beginning of the year. The other team who's back uh, asserting their dominance is the Yankees, who are still still very injured, still very beat up, especially their pitching staff. But with the series win over the Astros this week, they're uh, back into – or series win over the Rays this week, sorry, this weekend. They're back into first place in the American League East, despite all those injuries. So we will see if they will stay there. But they currently have the fourth best record in baseball, half a game ahead of the Tampa Bay Rays. And we'll keep uh, keep an eye on that as it goes forward, especially when their pitchers get back. Severino, especially, they could uh, turn into a real good ball club, play even better than they already are. So they're definitely a team to watch going forward. Speaking of the New York, we're going to talk about the other team in New York for a little bit, the, uh, the Mets. So the Mets are going to bring us our strange but true baseball injury. For the week, and this just happened today on Monday. This afternoon, the news broke that Ioannis uh, Cespedes, who has been rehabbing from a uh, from he- surgery on both heels that he had near the end of last season, he was rehabbing, recovering down on his ranch in Florida, had a violent fall into a hole and broke his ankle. They're not providing much details other than that, except he broke his ankle in multiple places by falling violently. There's some sort of hole involved. The only thing they've told us is there were no horses involved. He was not riding nor caring for a horse at the time. So ankle into hole, no horse. He's probably done for the year. They're still not saying whether he was in violation of his contract with whatever he was doing uh, when he was doing that. So we'll have to see how that goes. But Ioannis Cespedes brings you your strange but true baseball injury this week it's good when these things happen live then we don't have to go back to old stuff like we did last year or with the martin perez injury last week so more strange baseball injuries make this podcast funner do you know what else makes this podcast funner did you just say funner do you know what else makes this podcast funner more fun more funner proper grammar makes it more fun i would think yes but do you know what else I can't think of anything else that makes it better, but I can think of things that make it worse. Specifically, I don't know, maybe that one segment that Kyle and I really dislike. I think it's called, like, what what the hell is Mike talking about today or uh, something about... I don't remember what it's called anymore. The the short answer to the question was rules. Rules make this podcast more fun. No, no, no. Yes, rules. Yeah, like grammar rules. No, not those rules. Sports rules. rules. Sports rules. And the sports rule we're talking about today is how to protest the result of a Major League Baseball game. So this came up uh, earlier this week. The Cubs did it. Wyatt, you want to 
fill us in on what happened there in the Cubs, why they officially protested a game, and then I'll well, uh, let everyone know how that works. Uh, yeah. So the Cubs did protest a game, but it wasn't an official protest. Oh, they didn't lodge an actual official protest? Yes, but they lodged a protest in the game. Okay. Um, there, there is a difference. Okay, yes. Um, so this goes back to... Uh, this would have been... I don't. It was one of the games against the Nationals. I don't remember which. It had to have been the second or third game. Probably the second. Where in a previous game, Carl Edwards Jr., was told he has this little toe tap thing where when he sets up he lifts his right leg and then sets it back down and then throws his pitch and he was told he couldn't do that I, it might not have been in the game against the nationals it could have been earlier in the season and um the the reds or the nationals pitcher at the time uh, this is his name name escapes me it starts last name starts with an a you guys know what i'm talking about no not off the top of my head doesn't matter i can't think of it either he does this thing where he just taps his toe uh, and sometimes his toe doesn't even hit the ground. And Joe Madden came out and said, hey, we were told we couldn't place our foot back down. You know, Carl Edwards Jr. told that we couldn't do that. Why is he allowed to be doing this? And the ump was like, hey, man, that's he can do it. It's not against the rules, blah, blah, blah. So Madden goes back to the dugout. Very next pitch happens again. Madden comes out and lodges, lodges a protest, um, saying that the umpires are not, not applying the rules in the, the proper manner, I suppose. It's the best way to kind of kind of put that out there. Uh, that's why it happened. I, we could get into whether or not Joe Madden's correct or not, which I don't think he is with that. But he did he did protest the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so to protest a game, it has to be you have to be protesting an error in the interpretation of the rules and not about um, a judgment call. So you can't protest a game because of an out or safe call a fair or foul call, a ball or strike call, that's not uh, grounds to protest a game. It's an error in interpretation of the rules. So, for example, a lot of um, a lot of the uh, successful protests have to do with calling a game because of rain, like we talked about last week in the application of those rules for when you call a game because of rain. Or um, there's also the, uh, the most famous incident is the uh, George Brett Pintar incident, um, where you just have to watch the video and read the story. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. We don't have enough time to go into all of that here. George Brett Pintar incident. If you don't know about it, quite legendary. That it's a fun video. We should just a do a. Video. We should do a special just on the Pintar. Just incident. on the George Brett Pintar yeah. incident. I think that'd be it fun. Was, it was. It was the closest I've ever seen a uh, a player to assaulting an umpire. We'll just leave it there. But yeah, you should definitely watch that video. But anyway, so right, so those are all instances where they were um, the errors in the interpretation of the rules, not um, how it was called. So to lodge a protest, so like Joe Madden did, you must immediately inform the umpires that you plan to protest their ruling. That's the in-game protest that uh, Wyatt was talking about that Joe Madden did. And then afterwards, you must file a after the game, you have to file a formal formal request from the league office. Um, there's a there's a time frame you have to do that in it soon after the game. And then the league will make an official ruling on whether there was actually an error or not. Um, if, if, there's, if there was a successful um, protest, that means the game will be restarted from the point that the uh, overturned call happened. 
is what happens in the case of an of a successful protest. In an unsuccess so when a protest happens, the game just continues as as normal. If the protest after the game fails, then um, the result holds and nothing happens. Otherwise, they'll restart the game from where the protest happened. So that is an official protest in Major League Baseball. Again, they don't happen very often. Success protests themselves don't happen very often, and successful protests are probably once in a decade or so that a protest is actually successful. So it doesn't happen often, but since there was something about it this week, I figured it was a good rule to explain in case it comes up. Everything about a protest makes sense to both of you two? Yeah. 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 Now, now you know what it is. I know some announcers, I, I've watched some videos of protests being filed on field, and what happens is the umpire draws a, an uppercase P to the, the scores box to designate that the game is being played under protest. And I've seen announcers not know what that is, and they're like, who are they ejecting? What just happened? Why was his hand in the air? But they were just filing a protest. So if you see an umpire draw a P, that means the game is being played under protest. Nice. Thank you, Mike, for that information. No problem. And do you want to lead us into our results for Write That Down accountability session for Season 1? Yes. So our final accountability session for Season 1, we have two predictions that were made in Episode 30. That came off the board that were both season one predictions. Um, the first of those was Wyatt predicting that the Cubs would not lose episode and graduation. Um, they lost. They lost. They lost the day after he made that prediction, and they lost multiple times that week. So for that, Wyatt gets a nah. Um, the other prediction. And the final one to come off the board was Kyle's saying that Alberto Mondesi would have two triple, two more triples before graduation. I looked back at the box score. He had zero triples between that episode and graduation. So for that, Kyle gets a nah. And yes, as we've been alluding to, I also have the final standings. How do you want me to? How do you want me to read these final standings? We'll go bottom, bottom to top bottom batting up, yep. average, and then bottom to top slugging percentage. Does yep. that that sound good? Yep. All right. So, for our season one results, for batting average, in fourth place with a batting average of 228, we have Kyle. So, Kyle the bottom half place. of the Royals order. Yes, batting 228 in fourth was Kyle. In third place, slightly ahead of Kyle, batting 231 was Josh. Josh finished third, batting 231. In in second place, batting 258 was me. I finished in second, hitting 258. So that means in first place, as you can all assume at this point, was Wyatt. He that hit 344 for the year. <laughs> so he almost 100 points better than his closest competitor. Wyatt hit 344. That is absurd. And dominated that. But remember, we were also keeping track of slugging percentage. In slugging percentage... In fourth place, with a slugging percentage of 385, is Josh. Josh had the lowest slugging percentage at 385. In third place in slugging percentage, with 387, barely ahead of Josh, was me. I finished third in slugging percentage at 387. In second place in slugging percentage, a long way ahead of Josh and I, was Kyle. 
slugging 571. Let's go. That's a good slugging percentage. That is a very good slugging percentage. And then Wyatt, also first place in slugging, only barely ahead of Kyle, though, at 593. <laughs> so just snuck by Kyle, or just snuck by uh, Kyle there in slugging percentage. Kyle was able to recover from uh, that bad batting average by hitting two home runs and one triple. He had uh, the three 5-12 upsets in the NCAA tournament that was a home run, and Texas Tech making it to the national championship game that was a home run, and uh, Kansas State winning the Big 12 was a triple for him. That is why uh, Kyle was able to recover from his terrible batting average to have a good slugging percentage. Let's go, baby. He had the only two home runs and one of three triples. Josh and Wyatt also had one triple. Josh had um, Kansas State finishing above KU in the final basketball standings to a triple. And Wyatt had Iowa State making it to the Big 12 title game, Big 12 tournament title game, as those were our successful home runs and triples for the season. So now that season one is over, we will move on to season two. Wyatt, you want to lead us off with a season two prediction here? You bet. As your current reigning champion of Write That Down predictions, I'm going to put in my prediction for season two as the Cubs will win the NLCS. So that's essentially the same thing as saying they will make the World Series, right? Yep. So you can Um, give me the same thing as what I... I think I already put that one down there, but, you know, double or nothing. What do you think? Kyle, this early in the season to say that they'll make the World Series? Is that a home, home run, run prediction? That I think so. To make it this early in the season, I think that's definitely a home run prediction this early in the season. All right, what do you got, Kyle? All right, so this is going off the Royals' adi- or abysmal start to the season. Uh, they will have one of the three worst records in baseball at the All-Star break. Currently, they have the third worst record in baseball. Yes. Only ahead of the Miami Marlins and the Baltimore Orioles. Mm -hmm. And they are half a game ahead of Baltimore and one and a half games ahead of Miami. They are three games ahead of Toronto. Or three games behind Toronto for the next worst record. Um, I would say that's a that's a probably a solid single or double. What do you think, Wyatt? I was leaning towards a double more more out of pity for that. Um, my prediction is I'm also going with baseball. It's the biggest thing going on this time of year. I'm predicting that three AL East teams will make the playoffs. And I'll even go as far as saying what three AL East teams. That the Yankees, Red Sox, and Rays will make the playoffs. I won't say what order, but I'll say that the Yankees, Red Sox, and Rays will all make the playoffs. Okay, thank oh, you. Wow. Since there's no other AL East teams that are even going to be close. Hey, Toronto is only... Six games behind Boston. Only six. Mm-hmm. And that's going to get even worse. Yes. Yeah, it will. Oh, Take what you I get. don't know. I don't know. What I'm do you think, say... Kyle? Single or double? Triple? I don't know where I'm at on the scale right now for this. Okay, so nobody in the AL West is actually going to make the playoffs. Well, except one for team the from each division makes the playoffs, Kyle. Except for the Astros. Uh, the only team in the AL Central that I foresee making it right now is the Twins. So that means that two teams have to make it from the AL East. So I'm going to give them a double. Okay. I don't 
I don't follow any of your math, but okay. I'm okay with the double. That's that's I'll, fine. I'll, I'll take a double. Don't follow your math, but uh, I'll give you. I'll take the that's double. Fine. I'm okay with that. Do we have a prediction from Josh? I know I, he's not here with us physically, but I do. I do. Josh texted me a prediction. Josh is going with the NBA. He's predicting that the Milwaukee Bucks will win. <laughs> the NBA Finals. The Josh Bucks? is uh, stink it, sticking to his hometown team here and saying that the Bucks will make the final, will win the finals. Triple. I would give him a triple for that, yeah. Yeah. I would give him a triple it's for that. It's not a home run because they're already leading the East mm-hmm. final yeah. or the East um, conference, Eastern Conference Finals, so. Yeah, I agree. Sounds good to me. So, uh, since... I have my prediction in. Mike, Kyle, and Josh have their predictions. And I think that signals the end of the Write That Down segment, which also means we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the 8311Cast, episode 31, where we bring you all things sports to your beautiful ears. We'll be back with you again next week on our regularly scheduled podcast drop date of Monday morning. So stay tuned for that. Signing off for the 8311 cast, we have your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter. Thanks again for listening to episode 31 of the 8311 cast. We will be back with you next week. But until then, go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones.